The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, on behalf Three of Detroit, more beats on the check. Hey, we want to present these buffs to our governor, hey. Big Grits. Hey. Throw them buffs on her face, because that's Big Grits. We ain't even about to stress. We got Big Grits. Woo. You can find her in the press under Big Grits. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Grits. Throw them buffs on her face, because that's Big Grits. We ain't even about to stress. We got Big Grits. At all. You can find her in the press under Big Grits. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Grits. Come on. Big Grits in this bitch playing no roles. At Excuse all. all the cussing. That's just how I get my flow on. For real. If you want to leave the state, you can stay gone. But right now, Big Grits said stay home. All that protesting was irrelevant. Big Grits ain't trying to hear y'all or the president. How we going to take orders from a non-resident? Talking about it safe, but he ain't coming with the evidence. Big Grits got him shook now. When it's all over, you invited to the cookout. When it's all over, you deserve to get took out. Big Grits with the bucks on on the lookout. Uh, and she doing it for Michigan, so when she hit the stand, everybody should be listening. She on that pair of bucks with the ice in them glistening. On behalf of the whole Detroit mission. Throw them bucks on her face, cause that's Big Grits. We ain't even about to stress. We got Big Grits. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Grits. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Grits. Throw the bus on her face. Cause that's Big Grits. We ain't even about to stress. We got Big Grits. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Grits. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Grits. Big Staying here inside It's too dangerous out in the world I'll see you on the other side When I'm in my quarantine In my little place too high My heart is aching and I'm missing you I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side on the other side We're all in for a bumpy ride Sometimes, and I whisper you a goodnight kiss. I'll see you 
other side When I crawl out of my cage When the world is purified I will find you and I promise this I'll see you on the other side The other side, and I'll meet you with arms open wide. See you on the other side. See you on the other side. See you on the other side, and I'll meet you with arms open wide. See you on the other side. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour uh, writes about travel, culture, the environment, people, and cutting-edge gear. And uh, she's involved with a uh, recent book from National Geographic uh, that is called... Let me make sure I get this right. Um, A Hundred Great American Parks. The author's name is Stephanie Pearson. She joins me by phone. Good morning, Stephanie. Welcome to the show. Hello, Tom. Um, there are so many things I want to ask you about. First, we'll start with uh, some of what's uh, what the book is about, but I also want to ask you about uh, the time you spent with Dan Buettner because he's been on the show a couple times. <laughs> okay. Um, but after two summers dealing with travel restrictions, quarantines, lockdowns, and so on imposed by uh, COVID-19, the pandemic, um, a lot of people are anxious to get out and explore and, and are trying to figure out what they can do, what they should do. Um, are parks a good place to start and how come? Oh, parks are an excellent place to start. And, and there are a couple of reasons for that. I would say the first reason is true with or without COVID. And one of the reasons, and, and that reason being that, that parks are really truly places that were set aside because of some incredible value, either the beauty or the historical knowledge that they impart or, or some aspects. So, so for that reason, parks are sort of the, the highest level um, beauty in most you know, in most situations that we have in, in the country. But in terms of after the pandemic, there, the, the, the park service staff, they're all very, very, very educated and know how to handle crowds in a pandemic and what the requirements would be in terms of 
keeping people safely distanced. And a lot of parks have started reservation systems and lottery systems. And that means that, like, for example, in Acadia National Park, there are only a certain number of cars that can go on Cadillac Mountain. And that's sort of the iconic portion of that park. Or in Zion National Park, there's a lottery system to climb the famous Bright Angel Trail. Um, And so that keeps people distanced. And then there's also the amenities like you know, restrooms and and other things that people who may not have a lot of wilderness experience will feel a little bit more comfortable with. Um, And they're well-maintained and everybody has their own COVID protocols. And so, yes, they are a great great way to re-enter the world after the pandemic. Yeah, I would think that uh, being able to do something outdoors allows a feeling of of getting together with people getting out doing stuff but at the same time in a way that's very easy to maintain what we've come to know as uh, social distancing yes that is true now i i, I gotta ask you because uh, national geographic puts out a lot of books about parks uh-huh. And I I just wonder if that's because uh, National Geographic and um, the National Park System sort of grew up together. They're they're almost the same age, I think. Yeah, I think that's true. <laughs> and I also uh, I also I also think that parks people are just fascinated by parks, um, and especially now more than ever, I think visitation, park visitation has just expanded. I think in 2021, 297.1 million people visited national parks, which is an increase of 60 million over 2020. Um, And part of that is I think people's restlessness to get outside, but also I think people are just realizing what they have in these national parks and uh, there's just such an opportunity to learn and to see beautiful things and to see wildlife that they may never see. Um, you know, again, like Theodore Roosevelt National Park, I mean, you can see these bison wandering, these beautiful um, uh, buttes, and it's just an incredible, an incredible place. And then Glacier National Park, you know, some of the last remaining glaciers in the lower 48. And um, there, there's just a reason to go to all of these parks. Do you think that that people were so anxious to um, find things to do and, and to get out during and now we hope after or in the wake of the pandemic um, that that they went looking for things and discovered parks. Are parks better known and and um, understood a little better by people in uh, in the U.S. post pandemic? I think they're definitely. Uh, I think they're definitely um, better known. I, and part of that is probably social media. People take selfies and you know they go viral, and then people want to take another selfie in that same spot. I was just um, hiking. It was funny. I was hiking in Sedona, Arizona, which isn't a national park, but it's got some really beautiful rock formations. And um, there's a place known as the birthing cave. And somehow that has become, it used to be sort of an unknown little spot 
that was off the beaten path, but that's become a very, very popular place to take a photograph now. And so on one particular trail, everybody goes to the birthing cave because it's, you know, because it's been so visualized over and over again. Um, but I think that's what's been happening in a lot of these national parks. People are seeing other people <laughs> go out and, and just are like, wow, I want to be in those beautiful places too. It's it's funny when when something that's been around that long gets discovered and people start, uh, you know, being attracted to visiting the place, um, it it kind of changes the place a little bit. And and I'm thinking of a, a childhood trip to, um, oh, it was uh, in Missouri and and it was around the area where Mark Twain lived and wrote and there's um a cave that's featured um or alleged to be featured in one of mark twain's or maybe several of mark twain's books um and people go there and imagine that they're tom sawyer and becky thatcher you know um spying on indian joe or something in this cave and it ha- and the cave has a light switch Huh, <laughs> and that just struck me as really odd, you know that the the cave has been wired for electric light, yeah, yeah, I think that's that is definitely uh I mean that's i in a lot of cases that's an extreme very, example, but yeah, but I just uh-huh. wonder if if we don't have a tendency to you know to turn some of these natural wonders into more modern comfort areas. I I would agree with that. And I, I think that the park service um, in general sort of pushes against that. I, I spent a lot of time in the Apostle Islands National Lakeshore last summer. Um, and I, and they have a number of historical buildings and I know that there's uh, the Apostle Islands is in the book that I just wrote as well. And they have, they have a number of historical buildings that are are very close to falling down and the the pressure is always do we you know do we maintain these or how what what level of historical preservation do we keep these at and that's you know not a very well visited park because it's out in the middle of Lake Superior but but I do think that there's a constant con- conversation in many of these parks and they're asking, you know, how do we maintain the authenticity and the historical value of these places while making them safe for visitors um, as well? And I think sometimes those trade-offs, like light switches, hopefully not in many places, but but that's true. They do, you know, as more people visit them, a lot of a lot of places are becoming over-visited, which is why all of these new restrictions are, are being put in place, but that's to help preserve them in a way that people can, can still really get their essence and enjoy them, um, hopefully like they were able to in years past. Well, they've stopped short, I hope, of, of having uh, rangers <laughs> uh, stationed at the entrance with uh, mimeographed maps to other parks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here, go try this one. Right. Um, yeah. More with travel writer and National Geographic contributor Stephanie Pearson about America's national parks. Straight ahead. Everybody's doing. 
it'll brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom general stuff listen I have a legal question what is it mom I just got a call from the water company apparently your father has not been paying the bill I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than a thousand dollars now can you believe it actually I can't so listen we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. The Tom Sumner Program.com. More with travel writer and National Geographic contributor Stephanie Pearson about America's National Parks straight ahead. I mentioned that National Geographic has done a lot of books about parks. In fact, there's a a series, a 10-part documentary series, America's National Parks. This book is, in a way, part of that, uh, or at least, uh, at the very least, a companion to that. How so? So this book is a precursor to that show that will premiere later this summer on National Geographic. And Garth Brooks, who wrote the introduction to this book, is narrating that show. And so that's sort of the common theme. And they're taking, I believe, 10 parks from this book and um, or or it could be more at this point and and expanding on them and um, just exploring them in greater depth. And Garth Brooks will be narrating um, viewers through that experience. That's how you got Garth Brooks to write a foreword for the book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wish I could say he was my personal friend, but I think it was more National Geographic. I think that was the connection there. Well, speaking of National Geographic connections, I mentioned that we were going to talk a little bit about Dan Butner, but but first, <laughs> how do you get an assignment to report from Mount Everest? <laughs> well, that was um, that was an interesting story. I worked at Outside Magazine for a number of years as an editor, and I was I did a number of I, I did a lot of international travel, and I've, I'm a skier and a backcountry um, like a mountain biker, and have done a lot of. I worked up in the Boundary Waters as a guide, and so um, Haynes. The, the underwear company Haynes was sending someone to climb Mount Everest for a campaign um, that's, that was called um, what is your Everest? And so they wanted to, they wanted to get a high school. They wanted to do a high school con, um, contest. A kid wrote an essay, won the essay, and then they would send that kid to Everest base camp. And then they would also have somebody climb Mount Everest. And so I was hired as the journalist to cover that whole um, trip. And so I climbed to base camp with the, the winner of the contest. And then I stayed at base camp because they have permits above base camp and I didn't have the skill set to climb Everest. And, and so I stayed at base camp until the climber successfully summited, luckily. Um, So that was about a, month-long adventure at um, Everest Base Camp back in 2010. And then how did you work with, with Dan Butner? And, and correct me <laughs> um, if, I'm, if I'm wrong in remembering, isn't Dan the one who has put together the Blue Zones books? Yes, that is correct. And yes, I... So Dan is a Minnesotan, and I am from Minnesota. And that was the original connection for, for a year or two, I was living in Minneapolis 
after um, my first period at Outside Magazine, and then I went back to Outside later. But uh, Dan needed a science writer because right in the advent of the Internet, before he started his Blue Zones, he had this this um, adventure called The Quest. And so what what that was all about is that we he would devise a team of videographers and writers and storytellers, and we would go to a place and solve a, a mystery. For example, how did the Mayan ruins collapse? And so for that mystery, we drove from Minnesota down through Guatemala, um, through Belize, up back through Mexico, and we, we studied the Mayan ruins. And along the way, we met with archaeologists and a number of different scientists who could tell us their theories. And then in real time, every night, we would write stories for a classroom age, like a middle school classroom age. And my my responsibility was to write the science. So I wrote columns for kids like Gross and Disgusting, where I would have to eat some food like, um, you know, the Mayan culture in the Mayan culture, they eat tepesquently, which is, um, essentially a large rodent. And so we would do these things and then talk about what, um, you know, what, what the food value of these animals were to the Mayans as long as, you know, they've eaten them. And so, so that's how I connected with Dan and we did two big trips together, one to Australia, um, to, um, try to discover how the Aboriginal songlines worked, and then one through the Mayan through the Mayan world. Um, and then Dan went on to um, write books about longevity. He really focused on a trip that he had taken earlier to Japan. So, so that's the connection there. We're both Minnesotans. And, and uh, I, I don't I don't know why, but I've always felt a connection to Minnesota. Years ago, when I was playing music, I played in Minnesota a few times and um, being from the Great Lakes state it was always fun to visit the, the state of 10,000 lakes yeah it's a great <laughs> state what kind of musician were you I, I played drums just in oh. a, just in a club dance band nothing oh. nothing big and famous fun but um but I always enjoyed uh, Minnesota, although not hibbing so much in February. <laughs> yes. Duluth can be cold like that as well. That's where I'm based. Um, Stephanie, the, the book is called um, America's, let me see if I, I oh, A Hundred Great American Parks. Are these all national parks? No, they are. I included the 63 national parks. So there are 63 national parks in the U.S. And then there are some city parks like Central Park. And there are even some smaller parks like Theodore Worth Park in Minneapolis, for example. And I was given, after including the national parks, I was given free reign to choose the other parks that I wanted to choose. And, and the reason I chose them... Uh, the different ones are first I wanted to, to include a park in every state and territory of the U S but I also really felt that some parks had a, a story to tell um, like Theodore Worth Minneapolis's park system is very, very beautiful. And it, it's always ranked very highly. And Theodore Worth was a Swiss immigrant who took 
the model of European parks and brought it to Minneapolis. And that still is very evident today. And C.R. Worth also has a very great um, program in place where kids from all over the city, from all backgrounds, can go and learn how to cross-country ski, for example. Um, and, and it's a well-established program. So I like I like the, um, you know, it's a really equal opportunity park, and, and that's what parks should be. So that's why I included that particular park. And I imagine some state parks as well. Yeah, some state parks and then some national historic parks. There are some really little-known parks in the national park system that may not be national parks. But, for example, Weir Farm National Historic Park is in Connecticut, and it's really the only national park entity devoted to um, art, American art. And the they um, it, it's where this very famous artist, impressionist um, Julian Weir, um, that's where he painted. And so then it was turned into a place where other people painted, and then it was passed down through all these painters, and now it's become a national historical park, and people can go paint there and see all these other works of art. So it's it's inspiring in a in a in a unique way. How do those kinds of designations come about? You know, I think, I think in a lot of cases, um, it, it took a lot of effort on a lot of people's behalf. Um, for example, Shenandoah National Park, I think that that, I, I go into the history of that a little bit. Um, that's in Virginia. And that was actually a later park than than others um a lot of the western parks were designated as parks before the eastern parks and one of the reasons is because the eastern parks were near so much more population but to to make that park they actually had to move people out of the area which was quite controversial at the time and but they thought that it would be a good to preserve that beauty but also, I think the park was near something like a population of 30 million people, and they felt that that population needed to have a place to to go to. And so it, it took a lot of federal, local, and private entities sort of working together. And it, it didn't, it was, a, you know, it was a controversial um, undertaking because it ended up displacing people. Um, so I think in a lot of cases across the country, that's what you find in national parks. Someone was displaced, you know, whether it was a, a Native American group, you know, that's, long ago or more recently. That's interesting, Stephanie. I hadn't really thought about, um, you know, which which came first, but it makes sense that, that parks would be designated in the West and, and Southwest um, early on in the park system because there was so much land available that it seemed obvious to set some aside. But in mm -hmm. in heavily populated areas, people would think, well, we don't want to just set land aside. We're still growing. You know, and I, I can right. see that it would take a while for people to appreciate the importance of setting 
some natural land aside and and it would start uh, becoming part of um, civilization as well. True. Yes. That's uh, that's interesting. What are what are some other little fun facts that that we can learn from uh, from this new book from Nat Geo? Well, I think for one of the things, just one of the bigger things, is I think a lot of people tend to focus on you know what can I see at a national park and. Um, there are a lot of other park entities like National Historic Sites and um, other smaller parks. Like, for example, the National Park Service has two parks solely dedicated to Harriet Tubman. And one is oh, in really? Maryland where she, um, where she lived as an enslaved person. And one is in Auburn, New York, where she lived as a free woman. And so... So each of those park entities tells a different part of her story. And the the park in Maryland is a newer park, and they've oriented all of the buildings in a northern orientation because that's where she wanted to go. And and then you learn there's a, a national, there's a road, a byway that, that leads from this park. And along that byway are historic parts of her life, one of which is where... Um, a store. It's a very famous store in her story where she was hit by a brick in her head because she got in the way of, of a, of an enslaved person who was trying to run away. And, um, the, the slave owner tried to throw a brick at him and she was hit and she's had, she had epileptic seizures her whole life as a result. And so, so there's a lot of history in these parks um and, and and a lot of things that people might not have learned in you know high school or their college or their elementary school history classes and and that's what i find so wonderful um these parks are just so much more than just beautiful landscapes in this uh in this newest book stephanie that you worked on for national geographic 100 great american parks how many of the uh, uh, the features in the in the book are what you might call hidden gems? Well, I tried to. I tried to. For me, actually, a lot of the hidden gems, which people from the South might not call them hidden gems, but there are, you know, like Biscayne National Park, for example, is not a hidden gem. I mean, it's it's out you know, on the coast off Miami, but it's, it's a hidden gem in the sense that it's got incredible underwater life. And, um, it's, it's just this wonderful park where if you have access to a boat, you've got access to all this, um, incredible sea life and underwater life. And so in that regard, that's, that's a little bit of a hidden gem. And partially it's because I, I haven't, had the opportunity to explore that yet but again like selma to montgomery national historic trail that's the historic um you know retracing of the of the route that martin luther king jr took on his march from selma to montgomery that's um a really interesting park and then there's you know there's the new river gorge national park and preserve which is one of the newest national parks um which is i would definitely call a hidden gem um, 
it's just a beautiful river gorge, especially in the fall when all the colors are coming out. Um, and then some of the bigger parks in Alaska, you know, if you ever have a, uh, a stash of money and can get up to like gates of the Arctic preserve and see the caribou herds. Um, that's a wonderful place. Um, and, and then, Oh, there's just so many as I flip through this book, Stephanie, Channel Islands national park. How much time do you spend, um, going to and from travel destinations and, and exploring <laughs> parks and, and that kind of stuff. I feel like if somebody said, hey, Stephanie, what are you up to today? Well, I'm going to a park. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, before the pandemic, I that was definitely my life. I was always going somewhere on a plane. Um, but at, since the pandemic, I, I've I've slowed down a little bit, and I've, I've really, really spent a lot of time exploring the area around where I live, which is, I'm lucky because there's some incredible places. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in the Apostle Islands National Lakeshore, which is, um, I think it's, you know, a number of islands in the middle of Lake Superior. And then, you know, I've been to Isle Royal National Park, which is in the middle of Lake Superior and up in yeah. the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness and Voyagers National Park. And so there's just, and a lot of state parks north of Duluth. So I've, I've really tried to um, sort of focus around where I am for the time being. Um, maybe eventually I'll get back out. But there's there's a lot of places that I still want to see, especially now in the United States. And then, you know, I traveled internationally quite a lot, too. And I, I haven't traveled internationally for a couple of years now. So, um, Stephanie, what's next for you? Uh, well, I, I finished. Uh, a few chapters of a new book for National Geographic. Um, not sure if I can say what it is yet, but I'm, I've also just written another story for Outside Magazine about public lands that will appear in an upcoming issue. Um, and I'm working on just some some other smaller pieces for various publications. Well, um, but I can't believe how fast yeah. our time has gone, and we are out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website you can share? I do. It's com. Well, Stephanie, thanks. It's been a real pleasure talking with you, and uh, I, I, I hope you'll come back when you can talk about the next project and, and catch us All up right. a little bit. Well, thank you so much, Tom. I, it was really fun speaking with you. Take care. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Bye. Bye. That was uh, Stephanie Pearson. She is a uh, travel writer and uh, contributor to National Geographic. In fact, the author of the brand new National Geographic 100 Great American Parks. And with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead.
Trees of green Red roses too I see them bloom For me and for you And I think to myself What a wonderful world I see skies of blue Clouds of white Bright blessed day Darkness of night And I think to myself What a wonderful world The colors of the rainbow so pretty in the sky also on the faces of people going by I see friends shaking hands saying how do you do they're really saying I love you I hear babies cry Watch them grow They'll learn much more Than I'll ever know And I think to myself What a wonderful world And I think to myself What a
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage, basketball or soccer. So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days price swings of 30 or 48 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop Attorney Generaling! We got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash AG. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickerson. Like most married women, Blanche Bickerson is a romanticist. Having talked poor husband John into taking her on a second honeymoon, three o'clock in the morning finds Mrs. Bickerson in the lobby of a small hotel at Niagara Falls. Exhausted and bleary-eyed from the long drive, John Bickerson unloads the luggage outside as his wide-awake wife talks to the night clerk. Let's listen. It doesn't really matter about the room as long as we have a nice view of the falls. Yes, ma'am. I'll bet you don't remember me. No, ma'am. Well, I wouldn't expect you to with all the honeymoon couples you meet. I was here seven years ago. Is that so? Yes. Well, better luck this time. Oh, we're still married to each other. We're just having a second honeymoon. Do many people do that? No, ma'am. I wonder why. I wouldn't know, ma'am. Are you married? No, ma'am. Arthritis makes me walk this way. Will you please sign the register? Oh, I'm sorry. Last time we were here, we had to wait two days for a room. We stayed in a motel in Buffalo. Oh, here you are. Thank you. Is that Bickerson? Yes. Didn't I sign it right? Yes, ma'am. Mrs. John Bickerson and husband. Here's the key. Room 318. There's the automatic elevator over there. We don't have any bellboys at night. Oh, that's all right. I'll go out to the car and get my husband. John, where is he? He's not in the car. I wonder if he took the luggage out of the trunk. Good heavens! John, get out of that trunk, you darned fool! John, John, John! Blanche, 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 shut the door. There's a draft. Out of that thing. All right, all right, all right. Don't pull. Ow, my hand! Oh, serves you right. Pick up that luggage and straighten yourself up. Ow. I don't want you to go in that nice hotel looking like a ragamuffin. It's a nice muffin. Um, grab a couple of these bags, will you, Blanche? No! It wouldn't look right on our honeymoon. Come on! Oh, my back. Where's the bellboy? We don't have any at night. Are you the clerk? Yes, sir. Where's the register? I, I want a room with a bed. I've already signed it. You've got a room. Good. Where are you going to sleep? Come on, John. Stop dragging your feet. I just drove 2,000 miles for a second honeymoon. Lead me to my room. You had to talk like that in front of the clerk. Oh, let me sleep, will you, Blanche? I'd just like to go one place with you that you didn't embarrass and humiliate me. You've been unbearable since we left home. Keep going. In here? Yes. Pull the bags in so I can shut the door. No windows? No nothing? How much do they get for this broken-down room? This is the elevator. (laughs) Oh, well, push the button or something and get it started. I can't keep my eyes open another minute. I was afraid this would happen. I'd hoped that going on a second honeymoon would bring us closer together. Can't get much closer than this, unless you throw the luggage out. Every time I want you to be romantic, you're so distant, John. 
What is keeping us apart? The brown suitcase. What floor are we on? I'm sleepy. You're always sleepy. When you're not sleepy, you're humiliating me. I'll never be able to face that night clerk in the morning. You won't have to. Why not? There'll be a day clerk. Which way is the room? I don't know, and I don't care. I'm going to stay in the elevator. Oh, come on, will you, Blanche? Well, say you're sorry. I'm sorry. Now, where's the room? Right in front of you, 318. Well, open the door before I collapse. Thank heaven. I got to get some sleep. Well, put the lights on. Don't stumble around in the dark. Don't want to open my eyes. Just aim me at the bed and give me a shove. I'm not going to let you sleep until you undress properly and unpack the luggage. Oh, Blanche, why'd you have to bring so much stuff? You've got as much stuff as I have. I have not. All I brought was my toothbrush and my overnight bottle. You and that bourbon. You wouldn't take five steps away from home without it. Well, I can still remember what happened when we got snowbound in that cabin. That wasn't so terrible. Oh, not much. I had to live for two weeks on nothing but food and water. Don't throw my things around like that. There's no closet. Where shall I put these dresses? In the drawer. Where do you want these drawers? In the dresser. Fold up your pants neatly and put them under the mattress. Okay. Well, take them off first. John, what a fool I was to think you'd change. The second honeymoon was just as big a mistake as our first one. Oh, no, it wasn't. I'm so sorry you made me go on this trip that I could just die. I didn't make you go. You shanghaied me. even tried to get me to marry you again. Was that such an unreasonable request? Yes, it isn't legal. Why not? A man can't be punished twice for the same crime. Oh, that's too bad about you. How you shame me in front of all my friends. And after I sent the invitations out, too. Well, I wasn't going to have any formal a wedding and put out a lot of dough to feed your hungry friends and their squalling brats. There wouldn't have been any brats there at all. How do you know? Because I said plainly on the invitation, Mr. and Mrs. John Bickerson will be married March 9th, no children expected. Put out the lights. I'm never going back to that horrible apartment we live in. I'm going to sit here and stare at the falls forever. Wouldn't hurt you to look at them either, John. I see them every day on the shredded wheat box. How can you be so cynical? I'm glad I have a little romance in my soul. Just the sight of those falls brings back memories. Mm, yeah. Sit up, John. Look at that cascade. Doesn't it remind you of something? Yeah. What, John? I think I left the water running in the bathtub. John, you didn't. Okay, I didn't. Good night, Blanche. I never should have trusted you to lock up. Now I'm really worried. Did you close all of the windows? Close the windows. You didn't leave any lights burning, did you? Uh, no. Did you leave food for the cat? Left enough for a week. What did you leave him? A six-pound tin of corned beef. Did you empty it into a plate? No. Well, how do you expect the cat to eat? I left the can opener on top. Stop worrying about the cat. We should have taken all the animals with us. Poor little canary locked in the cage. Cat can't get out of the house. And who is going to feed the goldfish? Oh, help that they're terribly unhappy. Oh, they're not unhappy. They're having a fine vacation. They are not. They are, too. When I left, the cat was fishing. Fishing? Where? In the goldfish bowl. He was using the canary for bait. John Bickerson! Oh, go to sleep. The canary and the goldfish are fine, and I wish the cat would drop dead. Don't talk like that. I love that cat. 
that. When I get home, I'm going to enter him in a cat show. What for? He couldn't win anything. Maybe not, but he'd meet a lot of nice cats. Go to sleep, will you, Blanche? I'm not sleepy. Why don't you sit up and talk to me? Blanche, people don't talk at four in the morning. You talked until five o'clock on our first honeymoon. You kept reciting poetry and telling me how beautiful I was. Do you remember what you said, John? No. You told me your love for me was like a raging inferno. You said you had a fierce fire blazing in your breast like a live coal. What happened to it, John? It's only a clinker now. How can you say such terrible things to me? Blanche, I'm so sleepy, I don't know what I'm saying. I'd like to hear you say things like that to Gloria Gooseby. Can't I even go to Niagara Falls without Gloria Gooseby? The only reason you didn't was because she wouldn't have you. What? You proposed to her 15 times before you proposed to me. You big second fiddle, you. I never proposed to Gloria Gooseby, and you know it. And the next time I see her, I'm going to punch her husband, Leo, right in the nose. What have you got against Leo? He's a better husband than you are. I'm sick of hearing that, too. Leo Gooseby is a cheap, chiseling bum. He is not. He's more generous than you. Would Leo Gooseby give you a new dress? No. Would he give you a new hat? No. Would he give you a mink coat? No. Would you give me a mink coat? No. Why should I give you anything? Leo wouldn't. Stop screaming. You'll wake up the whole hotel. Well, stop goading me. You want me to do nothing but fight, fight, fight. No, I don't. All I do is ask for proof you love me, and you go into a tantrum. Blanche, what more proof do you want? I tell it to you a thousand times a day. I raise a new crop of freckles to spell out I love you. I painted it on all the Burma shave signs. Somebody's at the door, John. Honey, 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 honey! Madam, this is not a beehive. It's my bedroom. What are people wandering around in the halls this time of night for? Don't be so crabby. It's probably some nice little bride who can't find her husband. Maybe he's lost. He isn't lost. He's hiding. Put out the lights, will you, Blanche? I've got a vile headache. Nobody told you to yell your brains out. Good night. If you just stand here and look at the falls for a few minutes, your headache will go away and you'll sleep fine. Mm. Where does all that water come from? I once read it goes over at the rate of 346,000 gallons a second. John? Yeah? Are the falls higher on the American side or on the Canadian side? I don't know. I'll have to find out in the morning. What a majestic spectacle. I'm convinced there's nothing in the world like Niagara Falls. Except you, Blanche. Really, John? Why do you say that? Because you never dry up either. Good night, John. Oh
Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. <laughs> 